So this is three ground rules, three simple ground rules for having better arguments. How to have better arguments. Three simple ground rules. Why does this matter? Because every single one of us is in relationships of various kinds. And because we're different people, we are going to come to disagreements. We're going to get our feelings hurt. We're going to hurt people's feelings. We're going to want different things from each other. We're going to have to learn how to negotiate. We're going to have to learn how to solve the impasses of disagreements. Conflict is a part of every relationship. Conflict is not bad. Conflict is not bad. Many of us have been trained, though, by having bad experiences to be afraid of conflict, to avoid it, to just give the other person what they want or puff up real big and get what we want without having to deal with the other person's feelings and our own feelings. And one thing that I've said over the years is that a lot of men, this is a generalization and generalizations are, are inaccurate a lot of the time, but they're accurate more than they're not if they're a good generalization. A lot of men have not developed a full emotional color palette of words to talk about and describe their own feelings. A lot of men have not learned how to name, how to identify what they're feeling and put it into words. So they might have only two emotions, angry and asleep. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right? Uh, I'm upset might be their only phrase. They say they're upset when they're jealous. They say they're upset when they're sad. They say they're upset when they're scared. They say they're upset when they're depressed. They say they're upset when they're missing someone they really loved. There's all kinds of nuanced emotions. And a lot of us need to learn better language for speaking about our emotions accurately so that we can be vulnerable. Because the first ground rule of how to have better arguments is to be vulnerable instead of attacking. So many of us have not learned how to share vulnerably at all when we're hurt, when we're displeased, when we're dissatisfied. We default to attack either because we've seen that modeled growing up, like maybe our parents didn't, didn't have uh, the skills or the tools either, or maybe they, they had skills, they just never did it in front of us. Maybe, maybe they came from a generation that said, the adults, we, we don't do that in front of the kids, babe. We don't kiss in front of the kids. We don't fight in front of the kids. We don't make up in front of the kids. That's all secret, which is a huge, uh, that would be really sad. I hope you've seen healthy people walk in maturity so that you had some kind of a map for what that might look like. Like, how do you get really hurt and upset without inflicting great amounts of pain on the other person, right? That, that's, that would be an incredible skill to see somebody model. How do you walk in forgiveness and, and how do you stay committed long-term? And how do, you res, how do you return to joy as your standard steady-state emotion? That's going to be the third part, is um, returning to joy, I think. Yeah, the goal of, of the relationship is shared joy. So many of us never learned the skills of vulnerability, which, I mean... And then we get into a deep relationship. And this, this, by the way, is not just true between husbands and wives. These, these are true of close friends or family or coworkers or if you are work with a boss every single day. Any kind of relationship where you bump into each other regularly, you, it would be helpful to learn how to negotiate, to learn how to resolve conflict, 
to learn how to communicate displeasure and what you want without resolving to dirty tactics. And I don't mean dirty like sinful necessarily, but I mean tactics that, are, that, that end up eroding the relationship. Conflict can actually cause you to be closer instead of uh, more, more distance. If you do it right, fighting well will cause you to be, take better care of each other's hearts and have a stronger relationship at the end of it. Okay, attacking. What is attacking and what is vulnerability? Anybody want to venture a guess for how to define or describe what attacking might look like? <laughs> Without giving incriminating... Hmm. Screaming. So when you express anger in an, in, in an unfiltered way, just expressing that anger is itself damaging. Because anger, un, just vented, a fool gives full vent to his anger or her anger, just expressing that anger expresses a a desire to harm the other person emotionally even if it's not even if you're not punching them with your with your fists the screaming is punching them emotionally in the heart and it and it makes the person it not makes that's the wrong word it can really cause a lot of hurt and and so when i hear couples are screaming at each other i go i really hope that doesn't turn into physical violence but it's already emotional violence it is. it's already emotional violence Yep. Making sure I understand by, by putting what they're saying in my own words yes. to confirm that I hear you. Yes. Yeah. And that was a big thing. I call that active listening, where I'm not just quietly listening, but I'm showing you that I'm listening by engaging with what you're saying. Yeah. That's, what I, that's part, of, part of what I do in a counseling context, is repeat back to you what I think I just heard you say, not because I'm stupid, but because I'm trying to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Uh, well, maybe sometimes I'm a little stupid. Okay, so attacking. Here's how I'm going to define attacking. You said anger, angry, angrily screaming is, is, is one of the ways that we can attack. That is very true. Finger pointing or... Because finger pointing is connected to accusing. And accusing doesn't require fingers. It can be done without fingers, just with words. Uh, attacking means I'm telling you, because I'm upset, I'm telling you about you. Vulnerability is I'm telling you about me. me. That, I think, is one of the primary differences. If I'm telling you about you, I'm probably attacking. Making judgments about your character, your identity. I may be making assumptions about what's in your heart. And in reality, I cannot know what's going on inside of you unless you tell me. I, a, a hallmark of religious, uh, I'm going to call it religious prophecy. A hallmark of religious prophecy is to tell people what's going on in their hearts in order to control them. Religious prophecy. As opposed to gospel prophecy, which is to tell people about what's going on in God's heart to get them free. Do you, hear, do you hear the difference? difference. Huge difference. Uh, vulnerability is me giving you access to what's going on inside of me, not me telling me about you. If I'm telling, me, if I'm telling you about you, 
you blah, 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 and you da, 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 and you da, 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 da. It's like, we, what, are you, what are we imagining when we do that? It's like we're imagining there's a referee in the room, and if I can get the referee in the room to blow the whistle and throw a red flag on them, then they'll have to submit to what I said, and then you'll take care of me better. When in reality is the more I attack them, the less safe they feel around me and the more distance they want to make in between me and them and the less likely they are going to be to even want to meet the needs I'm trying to get met through attacking them. If I can learn to be vulnerable and tell them what's going on inside of me instead of telling them about them, it's much more likely that we're going to be able to achieve this thing that we want. Well, you could still attack. Even You're right. I feel statements are good. But there's still a way, I've noticed there's still a way to say, I feel like you're such a jerk. You know, I wait, whoa, whoa, that's not an I feel. That's another attack. So here's two examples. Here's not vulnerability. You're a jerk. You know how I feel about X, but you insist on doing Y anyways. You obviously don't care. Don't you even think about sex with me later, jerk. You go be on your stupid phone, jerk. That's not vulnerability, guys. <laughs> Wait, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> That's hilarious. That's also a funny time to enter the conversation. Right? I'm sorry, but I just felt like you Okay, oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, not vulnerability is, again, I'm, I'm attacking if I'm telling you about you, Right? That's not vulnerability. No matter how many I feel phrases we put on I feel, I feel like you always, you never, and blah, 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 blah. That's still attacking. You're not telling me about you. You're telling me about me. And so if I'm feeling attacked, what, what am I likely to do? I'm likely to get in a posture. If you're hitting me, what am I going to do? I'm going to defend. Like if you punch me, I'm going to physically defend myself. And how is, like, so now instead of a good interaction where you're sharing, you're taking your armor down, taking your armor off, and just putting your heart out here in a way where it can be hurt, you're trying to protect your heart by putting your armor on and stabbing me in my heart. That's not going to work. That is designed to make you put your armor on too and start stabbing at me. It's like, should not, we should not be shocked when we attack someone in the name of sharing our feelings and then they hurt us too because we're hurting them, all right? That's not vulnerability. Here, here might be, um, oh, by the way, it was really funny. I started sharing some of my thoughts on this with my wife this week, uh, not to fix her, just to tell her what I was writing down in the notes and she clearly started to feel attacked. So I backed right off. I was like, whoa, hey, whoa, I'm not telling you about you. I'm talking about principles. I said something like, uh, attacking instead of being vulnerable is proof that we still haven't developed the maturity or the skills. And she's like looking at me like, you talking about me? (laughs) It's good stuff. Uh, Okay, so this would be a better example of vulnerability. Hey, when you didn't remember our anniversary... I felt really sad. Notice how I'm not telling you about you. I'm telling you about me. And I'm being specific about what you did that caused that, you know, for me to feel this way. 
But I'm not making character assassination on the basis of it. Here, I'm, hey, you, when you didn't remember our anniversary, I felt really sad. It would have meant so much to me if you remembered without me having to remind you. Our special day means a lot to me, and to be honest, I'm feeling very angry at you, and I don't want you to touch me right now. In the future, can you try to do better at remembering to make our anniversary special? That, some people might be like, well, but you're still attacked. I didn't. I didn't. I was very specific in what I was requesting. I was very vulnerable in telling you how I'm feeling. And I was very specific in telling you what you did that caused me to go, I don't like that. Do, do you see the difference? You're so right. And I can, I can feel when my wife and I aren't quite right, even when she's claiming there's nothing wrong. <laughs> You're facing the opposite direction. <laughs> What's wrong? Nothing. But you won't let me, you won't even let me rub your shoulders. Yeah, right. That I'm fine word is a total and, and, so yeah, it's BS. It's a lie. It just means I'm fine. It is I'm fine. Leave me alone is what it means. And I think what it might mean is I'm not, I haven't yet figured out what's bothering me, but I will later. And once I figure it out, then we'll talk. But until then, I honestly don't, I haven't figured out what happened. It, one, one time she was like that, and she had a dream, and in her dream I did something wrong. And I was like, this ain't fair. Oh, man. <laughs> that ain't fair. How dare you? What? what? That was not the real me. Okay, so rule number one, be vulnerable. And how, would we, how did I define being vulnerable? I'm telling you about me. I'm telling you about what's going on inside of me. Why, and why do I need to tell you what's going on inside of me? Other people are my God doesn't even, even prophets only prophesy in part. Yes. Because have you ever seen when a prophet comes into the room, people are like, I don't want to sit next to them. He's going he's, he's gonna to see into my deepest secrets. And I'm like, if he could, he'd leave. It'd be gross. He'd be out. It's, that's the nice thing about prophecy is you only get bits and pieces most of the time. Um, I don't know. You get paragraphs. Yes, yes. But compared to what Jesus sees, right, it's bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, and actually, the more you are ch- genuinely loving, the more he can show. Right? right? It, because when, when, you're a gen- when you become love like God, he can know it all without judging. The cra- Jesus, I'm, you know, I'm living in John right now. And Jesus says, I judge no one. I love what? I judge no one. The, the judge of all the earth is the least judgmental person I've ever met. That's helpful. That's very helpful. Which, yeah, okay. So vulnerability is I'm telling you about what's going on inside of me. Attacking is when I'm telling you about who you are. And maybe what's going on inside you and maybe your character. And then maybe we'll just go ahead and throw in, oh, man, if you really want to put in the, the, the nails, the, you know, you really want to dig, you, you can bring up family history. You're just like your mother, father, family. 
the whole side of your family is a bunch of bleep, 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 just dig in. And you go, oh, that's no, not like, right. Because like first, first off, they're my family. And secondly, I hate that about them too. And thirdly, stop, ouch. Right. <laughs> yeah, care, care, I got to watch my mouth so I don't have to do much editing later. There's things that I, if I share, then I have to edit, so I won't. I'll just turn this off real quick. So rule number one was be vulnerable, don't attack. Whew. Rule number two is do not use allness language. What I, by allness language, I mean words like always, always never. never, none, all, completely, totally, only. Let me give you some... So, Reasons why this matters. Christians are the people of the truth. The devil is a liar, and the people who belong to his kingdom are the people of the lie. Romans 1 says that God makes himself known, but people didn't want to glorify him as God and give thanks to him, but instead we turned away and believed the lie. We loved the lie. Something about God is the truth, and as we worship and allow His light to to fill us, we become people of the truth. And Christian truth is different than just sort of scientific truth or facts, because Christian truth means a life that embodies truth. Truth is, is, is manifested. Truth is a person, and truth is a way of being in the world, not just facts on a piece of paper, right? So we are the people of the truth. So for me, I've become more and more concerned with my language the last few years, not just whether I'm using language that's foul, Mm -hmm. but I'm concerned more and more with my language, trying to make sure that my language is accurate, not exaggerated. I'm trying not to exaggerate because exaggeration is still lying. But some of us, I think, when we get into a conflict, in order to communicate just how strongly we feel to our person we're in conflict with, we'll exaggerate what we're, we'll exaggerate the facts to try to communicate how strongly we feel. But notice what is being lost. Truth is being less, now less important than my feelings. And that's not That's not Christian. If I could be so bold, liars go to hell. (laughs) That's through your Bible repeatedly. Do I have to do the the, come back a second night and just show you a bunch of Bible verses? It's pretty crazy, actually. The truth will make you free. Jesus places a high premium on the importance of our words. He says, with your words, you'll be acquitted and with your words, you'll be condemned. And I don't think that means we're legalistically judged by our words. I think it means if we're the sort of person who is gracious in our speech toward others, we'll, 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 we're also, it's, it's a sign that we're the sort of person that's able to receive the grace of God. And if we're the sort of person who's got nothing but, there we go, there's all in this language, who's got too much harshness and judgment in our speech, it's a, it's a revelation of a heart that's not really in line with the mercy of God. Okay. We know that if a heart is clean, the mouth will be too. 
if we renew our mind, we don't have to watch our mouth. We know that the, out of the heart, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we treasure in our heart ends up being the storehouse out of which we speak. So we know that that's true. But we also know that where our treasure is, our heart will follow. So it works in reverse. As we learn, as we learn to discipline our tongue, it helps us discipline our mind. As we learn not to give ourselves the self-indulgent carnality of walking in the flesh with saying what we want to say, eating what we want to eat, sleeping with who we want to sleep with, getting up when we feel like getting up instead of when we should get up, it's just another form of self-indulgence of letting the flesh be in control, saying what I want, what I feel strongly, as we curb that, it actually begins to discipline our beliefs, our minds, our thought process. Did I lose you? Is that too much at once? It begins to repro- Being careful with our words we say out loud begins to reprogram our brain to think more in accordance with truth. And guys, our feelings are built on our beliefs. They are. What you feel comes from what you believe. I mean, there's some rare exemptions. If you have a physiological depression, then the depression might be coming first, and then you might be looking to figure out, why am I depressed? And then you might furnish that with reasons and so forth and be incorrect. So that does happen. Some people go through clinical depression because of a biological problem. I get it. But for most of us, feelings are rooted in beliefs. If I believe my life's amazing, I feel grateful. If I believe my life is terrible, I feel self-pity and sadness. Okay. You say, why are you saying all this? I'm trying to say what we say matters. Accuracy with our words matters. And it, it seems to matter more to me now than it, than it used to. Being, I, I, <laughs> I catch myself in the middle of my preaching trying to make sure I'm not saying something that will cause people to not view me as a voice that is credible. I want to be credible. I want, peop- I want people to, I want to be worthy of trusting because I am speaking the truth transparently before God with a clean conscience in the sight of God. Okay. All that to say, allness language is a form of exaggeration and I consider it to be a pretty carnal and self-indulgent way to speak. Uh, it also sounds like a drama queen teenage way to talk in conflict situations. You always blah, blah, blah. You never blah, blah, blah. I'm the only one who blah, 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 blah. Wow, is it high school suddenly? It's time for somebody to grow up. And, and that's so, when, it's, when the honest language is just me by myself in my internal dialogue, I call it catastrophizing because I'm, I'm talking myself into a, a, a the feeling that my small problems are actually huge. It's a catastrophe. And if you're in the kingdom of God, I don't think there are any big problems, not even death. If you're not in the kingdom of God, I can see that there are some real big problems worthy of being freaked out about. But in the kingdom, Jesus is like, chill, you got this. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. You'll have friends, you'll have clothes, you'll have food, you'll have eternal life, you'll have his peace, you'll have his spirit. Hey, and even if they kill you, 
not a hair of your head will be harmed. They might chop your head off, your head might roll down the street, but your hair will look amazing. In other words, Jesus doesn't envision the believer as having big problems. So if you're in Christ, catastrophizing is, is, is a sort of self-pitying way of thinking. And, and I'm not saying that today you're going to hear this little, little, oh, rule number two, and now I'm done. It, it, takes, it takes new habits being formed. Because self-pity and navel-gazing and what's wrong with me and oh my word and overthinking. And, and like I, I've told you all, I've switched my journaling this year. I, I started to journal. I'm going to journal more. Now I'm only journaling a few little tidbits of what I'm reading in the Bible and so forth. I'm not journaling my feelings anymore. It's too navel-gazy. It's too mopey. It's too philosophically. Just, I can't do it. It's not helpful. It doesn't help me. God certainly doesn't need to hear it. And apparently I don't need to say it. It's just better for me to spend my time saying those things to God instead of writing them down, and then he'll sort it out and get back to me with good answers. Just keeping a record of it in paper is not helping me. And I'm not saying you have to be me, but when we allness language in our self-talk, I call it catastrophizing. When we allness language in our relationships with others, oh boy, it's, it's attacking, and it's not accurate. All right, so let me give you some examples of allness language in a relationship because I know that it doesn't really make sense until we use the examples. It kind of feels vague and weird until, okay? You always leave the toilet seat down when you pee. You mean up? <laughs> no, you leave it down, and then you pee on it, and then I sit on it, and then I want to smack you. You always leave the toilet seat down. Lift the seat up. Am I the only one in this house that even flushes toilets? <laughs> Do you hear the allness language? Yeah. There was two of them in there. Did you catch them both? You always leave the toilet seat down, pee on it, dribble on it. I Am I the only person in this house that even cleans and flushes toilets? Now I added a third item to the cleaning. You never. Well, it's true. Hmm? Hold up. Is it true? It sure feels true, doesn't it? Man, it feels true. You always throw your clothes on the ground. I'm always picking up after you. I'm the only one who takes the trash out. Why don't you ever check your oil in your car? Why is that all left on me? How's come you don't show initiative in caring about the kids' grades? How's it got... Even though I didn't say, even though I didn't say always and never when I said, how's come you don't? Can you hear it? It's in there. Blanket statement. You don't. Yep. It's a generalization. How's come you don't care about the kids' grades? First off, we're attacking. Secondly, we're exaggerating. And you say, but, but that is true. Okay, hold on. If... They've even put the toilet seat up one time. Away with thee. How did nature get in here? There's a bug on me. If they've even put the toilet seat up one time, I'm lying. If they've ever put the toilet seat up one time, if they've ever flushed the toilet one time, if they've ever washed the toilet one time, if they've ever shown an interest in the kids' grades one time, if they've ever taken out the trash one time, I'm lying. 
So let's be as specific and measurable in, as we can. Well, well, here's another example. No, I already gave you that one. Okay. Here's, here's, a good, here's, how, here's a better way to say something like what we were talking about. It might be more helpful to say, this is the third time, notice the specificity, this is the third time that I have taken the trash out this week. Now here comes vulnerability. And I'm beginning to feel resentful. <laughs> That's called Vulnerability. At the unequal distribution of household chores, babe, can you please take out the trash? That was really good communication. Now, nobody's perfect, so it's likely that no matter how perfectly we communicate, our spouse or our friend or our boss or our coworker or our neighbor will still get hurt and mad but we've done a really good job being specific and measurable and vulnerable in our communication. We haven't name-called. We haven't judged their identity or character. We haven't manipulated or threatened. We've made a specific, clear, tangible request. We've stated our feelings. We've done so under the assumption that they care about our feelings and that we don't have to hurt them in order to get them to care. We don't have to make their life a living hell to get them to care. Because that's what manipulators do. We make their life a living hell till they obey. Nagging is worse than flogging, dude. Seriously. I'd rather be in debt than have to be nagged about money. All right? I will not be in debt ever. There we go. Let's say that. <laughs> Are you with me so far? Be vulnerable. Don't attack. Allness language is typically inaccurate and therefore unhelpful, but also tends to feel like an attack. Rule number three, the goal of every argument should be to return to the shared joy that is the real fabric of every healthy relationship. Shared joy. Shared joy is the steady state of every healthy relationship. When a relationship has shared joy, meaning we're happy to be together and what makes you happy, I'm interested in, and when something makes you happy, I'm happy about you being happy about it, and vice versa, that makes for, and then appreciation flowing back and forth, gratitude, appreciation, praise, affirmation being shared back and forth. I did not used to be very good at this with my wife. I thought she knew what was inside me. I thought she, because I felt so strongly about her that that just somehow would magically land upon her. I now affirm her, I affirm my wife numerous times a day, most days, that I, that I, I can't say every day because I, can't, I don't keep track, but most days that I'm aware of, I affirm my wife's beauty, my affection for her multiple times a day. I think today I told her, you look so beautiful in your dress and with your earrings on and your necklace on. And um, here's a humorous... To, it, why is it funny for someone to pay themselves a compliment? When my dad was little, he was looking in the mirror and his brothers overheard him say, wow, my blue eyes really brighten up my face. And they never let him live it down. 
You, to this day, you, all you have to do is say, walk past Dad and be like, man, your blue eyes, Norm, they really brighten up your face. And he'll be like, <laughs> you know? Carrie said, the, like a while back, she said, I th- always thought my shoulders were my best feature. And so now I've been telling her about her shoulders being such a wonderful feature in this similar kind of a way that's like, hey, stop, get out of here. Yeah. Now you know that, so you can use that. Make sure you tell her her shoulders are awesome. <laughs> so shared joy is the, is, the, is the healthy, steady state. And the goal of our argument should be to resolve what's going on that's, that's, that's kind of interrupting the shared joy so we can get back to shared joy. That's the goal. The goal's not, I'm going to hurt you because I'm hurt. I'm going to, again, appeal to the imaginary referee to get him to blow his whistle, and then justice will require you to say, you're right, I'm right, you're wrong, and then you're going to start treating me good finally. I sit with people, and they, and they fight in front of me, and I'm like, do you think I'm a judge? who's going to smack my gavel and then the other person's going to have to do what you want? That's not how this works. I don't know who you're talking to. First off, I don't care. I'm going to go home and forget half the stuff we talked about and you're going to go home and work on it or no one is. And it's going to be the person that you're mad at that's going to have to be the one working on it with you. So if what you're doing is driving them away, it ain't going to work. Come on, man. I like to say... It don't matter how wrong your partner's dancing. If you don't learn to dance with them, you ain't dancing together. You know? What good is it to point in the book about how they should be dancing? Go dance wrong next to them. Figure it out. It's called relationship. I don't mean sin together. I'm saying some of us live with this rigid sense of justice. We get all offended about justice when relationships are actually about taking good care of each other's hearts. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Appreciation. Shared joy is the steady state. Appreciation is key to cultivating it. Regularly affirming uh, what you love about the person is incredibly powerful at causing them to feel secure in their status in the relationship as beloved. I don't care if we're talking about a group of dudes who hang out and go hunt animals. Affirming in sneaky ways. It's weird how men find... Men affirm each other sometimes by picking on each other and it looks like they're... they're they're making fun of each other, but they're, what they're trying to say, it's kind of complex and subtle. They're trying to say, I'm picking on you because I don't really know how to be vulnerable enough to just tell you I love you. That's how me and my buddy Cliff are. We're all the time drinking with each other, all the time picking with each other. Like dudes walk down the street and they yell the words, you suck, at each other when they love each other. We look at each other and say, oh, I'm going to lump you up. No, yeah, you better watch your mouth. Yeah, you better watch your mouth. You're going to be, there are going to be some furniture moving around here. And what they're trying to say is, I, I love you enough like a brother that I could punch you like a brother. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Man, so weird. I'm not saying that's healthy, but it is normal. <laughs> it was Matt Damon said he saw, he saw some some baseball player that he absolutely loves walking down the street. And instead of yelling, I love you, dude. You're my hero. He yelled, hey, so-and-so. And the guy turned, he goes, you suck. <laughs> Men are crazy. Anyway. Okay. Appreciation is key to cultivating belonging. Contempt 
is the single greatest killer of all relationships, contempt. When I feel contempt coming off of you, man, I'm gonna, that, is, that is like telling me, please shut down. I, I want you to shut down. If I feel contempt coming from you toward me, it is not safe for me to be in your presence. Now, it takes a lot of love on my part to wade through your contempt and choose to love you anyway. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's how Jesus is. He will wade through people's contempt in order to keep loving them. That doesn't mean he plays games. It doesn't mean he doesn't say truth. It doesn't mean any, any of that. But contempt, man, that's the single greatest killer of relationships. And how do we grow content, uh, contempt? A critical spirit, unforgiveness, uh, resentment, and gunny sacking. I'm going to put this one up there. Do you know what I mean by gunny sacking? Picture someone who has a big old, like, a Grinch stole Christmas sack on their back. And it is chock full of every little thing that made them upset in the course of our entire relationship. Well, they've forgiven it. Until next time. And then suddenly it's there. And they can dump the whole gunny sack full of the stuff that they're still hurting mad about. And, and it's not forgiveness, is it? You know, it's, it's worldly forgiveness. Worldly forgiveness says, I, I've forgiven you, but, I, but, I, but I'm never, we're never going to be right again in our relationship. Gunny sacking is when you store up all the offenses in the history of your relationship and then empty the sack when a new offense arises. Whew. I like to say love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But we often do. And that's not healthy. Gunny sacking is a way to contempt. Uh, Do not let the sun go down on your anger means forgive quickly. And forgiving does not mean pretending it didn't happen and doing nothing with it. It usually means confronting the person. If they're in close relationship with you, forgiveness means confronting and then not punishing. I'm going to confront the issue with you. I'm going to condemn what you did that was wrong. But then I'm going to hand you over to Jesus as the judge. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to hand my right to punish over to Jesus. And I'm, not going to, and I'm going to hand over my right to withhold love from you. But if I'm like in close relationship with you, It's going to destroy our relationship for me to forgive you in secret over and over and over without confronting with you. Because our relationship has to be about you taking good care of me and me taking good care of you. So I had a friend who they would forgive over and over and over, but not talk to the people they forgave. Turns out, that's a great way to ruin those relationships. Now you're forgiving me of stuff that didn't even happen. And if you had just talked to each other, you would have realized that almost 80% of the stuff you forgave never happened. It was in your mind. Okay, that's enough of that. I felt that very strongly. And we can talk more about that later because we know this person in common. Okay. In your relationship with God, the joy of knowing God is literally the point of your salvation. It's the point on his end. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It was for the joy of having many sons and daughters that the Father was willing to see Jesus suffer for us 
and it's now the joy of having us in fellowship that he is looking forward to on the daily, which is another way of saying uh, forgiveness isn't the point of the gospel. Forgiveness is the means to the end. God gets to have fellowship with his kids now. So on his end, shared joy is why he's in this thing with us. And on our end, shared joy should be why we're in this thing with him. The joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of knowing the Father, the joy of walking with God in the cool of the day, every day, and, for, and forever. Or in the hot of the day. In the hot of the, in the, in the hot of the day, in the sweat of the sun. So steadfast love is what the Old Testament calls God's love. It's called, the, the Hebrew word is hesed, loving kindness, sometimes translated covenantal faithfulness. Modern psychology invented this idea of unconditional positive regard. Did you know that's not in the Bible? Unconditional love is not the way God loves. That's a modern psychological concept. Did you know that? It's new. Carl Jung made it up. Unconditional love is not in the Bible. You know what's in the Bible? Covenantal faithfulness. He has committed, he has committed, he has made covenant with us and he won't break covenant. If we break covenant, he has absorbed our unfaithfulness into himself through the cross. And he continues to remain faithful. He's, it's God's love, unco- like the sort of modern psychological thing is unconditional positive regard, unconditional love, is kind of passive. It just means I'm not judging you. That's all. What, what unconditional positive regard was for, for Young was a, a way of sitting with the person who was sharing and not being disgusted at all of their brokenness. But that's not the way God loves. He doesn't sit and just not judge. He remains committed and connected in spite of how we're behaving. Am I making sense? God's love's better than unconditional. It's covenantal. But that, that's hard to render, I think, in English because covenantal faithfulness, sometimes it's rendered the steadfast love of the Lord, the loving kindness of the Lord. In the New Testament, they, they use the same phrase and they say, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the Hebrew concept of hesed and bring it over into the Greek language. Grace and peace. Oh, and they're, just, they're, they're struggling because hesed is just such a huge theme. But here's what it looks like. It's the love of the father when the prodigal rounds the bend and the father gets running. And, and the prodigal starts to try to make an apology speech. And the father doesn't, doesn't even let him finish. And strike the band up, kill the fatted calf, get the robe, put the ring on his finger, put the, put the sandals on his feet. You know, and he says, I just, just let me back in your house as a slave. Unconditional positive regard would have listened to his chat and said, well, okay, whatever you want to do is fine with me then. But the father says, get that out of here. Get that out of here. I never wanted payback. I just wanted you back. That shows, and then it says, and so the party began. My favorite verse that I want on that back wall, keep saying it, 
And so the party began. I want it on the back wall so that as we're singing over here, we know what we're singing about. We were dead, now we're alive, we were lost, now we're found. And the Father says, it's time to party. And guess what? That's now. That we live, Christians, the grace of God's not just for sinners to get saved. The grace of God is the state in which Christians now live. We live in the party. We live in the party. We, we are under grace. In other words, shared joy is the steady state normal of your, of your walk with God. And that's supposed to then inform your relationships on the horizontal. So we're called to then figure out, and it's actually really kind of challenging, how do we express the hesed of the Lord toward people Sometimes we're hurt and mad. Sometimes we don't even want to think it's smart to be in relationship with them. Sometimes we have to set up a boundary for our sake and for their sake. This stuff is the stuff where it's like, Holy Spirit, help us. Give us wisdom. This is bigger than my biblical principles can figure out. I told somebody just the other day, I think this is a situation where it's presence over principles you're going to have to figure this out with Holy Ghost. Then like two days later, they sent me another text. I could not, I was not at peace with it and I had to confront the thing. And I was thinking, that was Jesus. That was, that was the presence leading this person to bring confrontational instead of chill. And sometimes the same Jesus will lead somebody else to be chill instead of confrontational. But anyway, okay, that's enough for tonight. Do we get it? Ground rule number one, I tell you about what's going on inside of me, not inside of you. I'm vulnerable, I don't attack. Ground rule number two, my, my words. Don't use all in this language. Be measurable, be specific, be accurate. And try not to be so self... I think all in this language is a form of self-pity. Mm, I don't like it. And then the third one, the goal is to return to shared joy. Oh, I forgot to say this. The point is taking good care of each other's hearts. That's the whole point of every relationship is to take good care of each other's hearts. I can't take good care of your heart, Stan, unless you tell me what's going on inside of you. You can't take good care of my heart unless I tell you what's going on inside of me. Because there's no two people. This is the weirdest thing. Humans are all made of the same stuff. Same, same bone and muscle. We, everybody has a pancreas and a, you, know, you fill in the blank. We are almost the same. And yet, and yet, hey, no two people alike. The, the sameness means we can, we can understand, we can commiserate, we can share, we can have sympathy, we can have empathy, we can have shared joy because there's sameness. The difference creates a sense that there's a mystery here. And it makes every single person An adventure to figure out. How do I take good care of your heart? You know, Clint Yoder, when, when I started here, he said, you have to pastor each sheep differently. The thing that might cause one sheep to, to, to thrive might break the spirit and cause deep sadness in a different one. You have to. It is parenting. Joe Bontrager told me, he said, pastoring is parenting. If you want to be a better pastor, read parenting books. I don't like reading parenting books. He was trying to, he was trying to hack that for me. It didn't work because I don't like reading pastoring books either. 
I want to read about Jesus. Okay, that's enough for tonight. Thanks, guys.